to open. Yes, and what do you do? That depends on this misunderstood, unmanageable old machine. And on top of all that, the telephone seems to be very dead. He called me in my mind. Well, what about the Sonic Time Scan? Well, first things first. Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, a podcast about our ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. We're a couple of guys who love Doctor Who, obviously, also have written about it, and are determined to watch it all. Uh, on this journey with you guys and uh we we couldn't be happier to be continuing this in a new year yes it is 2022 we are recording this on new year's day which means that uh i am personally in a condition uh, which i would describe as a glowing skull <laughs> which is Kind of appropriate for our story today, which is Some, Image of the Fendal. Yeah, something's really hammering at that pentagram in the middle of your <laughs> brain. I can tell. Yeah, it's but it's all right. I've got some rock salt. It's all good. Good, good. Yes, mix that in with whatever <laughs> hangover cue you got going on there. Um, but yeah, it's 2022. We're excited. Um, if you're trying to locate us in time, whenever you're listening to this, that's it. That's where we get in 2022. And uh, it's a it's a fun time for us in the podcast. We've been growing quite a bit over the past few months. Uh, lots of followers on TikTok. Uh, we're up to about thirty three hundred now, and it's been really fun. We're sharing more and more clips of the show, uh, having a little more discussion, and uh, we couldn't be happier with with all the response. Uh, and we we really want to reward you guys, but we also want to have a bit of a push, a bit of a resolution here in the new year. So mm. we're at 3,300. Now, remember, Chris, we used to talk about giving away prizes for our thousandth follower, and we tried. We tried. Yeah. Um, and I think that person was <laughs> maybe not a big TikToker, uh, so we couldn't get right. a hold of him. But we will most definitely give a prize to our 10,000th follower. So... We just want to really make a big push over the next little while. Let's see if we can get to 10,000 TikTok followers. If you follow us on TikTok, and by the way, we are at poll to open on TikTok. Mm -hmm. uh, please share the channel with your friends. Uh, share out the clips. You can use whatever. You can share it on TikTok. You can share it on your notes app or your texting app or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, please, please get the word out about the channel and the podcast. And we'd be really happy to send... Uh, prize TBD on exactly what it is, but we will definitely have make it something special to our ten thousand follower. Yeah, that the the, the TikToks we produce, the, the little bite sized moments of Doctor Who bliss. So that I think we're discovering that TikTok is a really great location for for Doctor Who content and for reminding yourself about you know what all these stories are about and uh, what what the controversy was and mm. how how. You know, the actor playing the Doctor performed in each episode. Um, so we, we get into it there. Please uh, share a round comment there. Get involved. Leave us a review. Um, we love all reviews. Totally. Any, any number of stars. Um, 
Yeah, the reviews. Yeah, that's another one. So mm-hmm. if you are <laughs> listening to the podcast form of this, which I presume you are, uh, one, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, there's a button somewhere on your app to subscribe. But also give us a review. Reviews really do help uh, our, our visibility in whatever platform you're on, particularly Apple. So um, we'd really like, in addition to a push for 10,000 TikTok followers, we'd love to get to 50 reviews. So we have a couple already. And our most recent one, uh, is by uh, I presume a uh, young lady named Claudia because her handle is Claudia27 and mm. uh, she recently left this review she says I'm loving Pull to Open it's so much fun and has reminded me of just how much I love Doctor Who thanks for sharing your knowledge and opinions I'm always so excited when I get the notification that there's a new episode Wow, Claudia thank you so much for that uh, great review thank you very much for the five stars uh, and showing our everyone who is listening that uh, it's that easy simply write a quick review on Apple or whatever service you're on uh, and we'd love to read it out and uh, let you know how much we appreciate it here here on the pod. Yes, we very much do. And Peter, has it been, it's over a year now since we started our random adventure. Yeah. Uh, since we yeah. installed the randomizer. Well, and that's the other thing. And like people don't need to know the, um, <laughs> I think, behind the scenes mechanics of the show. But uh, it's kind of what I considered season two. Yes. A full to open when we rebooted. So I'm officially with these pushes and with the new year. It's season three, everyone. Yes. A full to open starting today. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been about a year since uh, since we did the random. We installed the randomizer into the show, and it's uh, improved it drastically. I will say, thank you, randomizer. Here's and the randomizer has taken us back to uh, our last pre-randomizer location. Was the invisible enemy correct? That's correct. Uh, we, yeah, we wanted to. Uh, we thought it was a novelty to to uh, talk about a you know a, a virus spreading. Yeah, um, we figured it was our one chance. Yeah, it was our one <laughs> shot to talk about it, and we had no idea of Delta. We had no idea of Omicron. We had no idea that life was itself going to start sounding like a Doctor Who episode. Mm. So here we are with Omicron surging, and we are back. In the uh, Doctor and Leela era of the Fourth Doctor, with the image of the Fendal, which is right after the Invisible Enemy, and also contains canine, sort of canine, canine sort of, yeah, like yes. canine open panel of wires, which you almost <laughs> feel like. Well, we can get into it, but is it were they saying goodbye in the first episode right after they introduced him? I don't know. Yeah, um, but anyway, he was it's, he was yeah, it's kind of uh, neglecting a robot dog is mm. uh kind of the the shorthand of what goes on in the image of Fendal. Yeah. But speaking of what goes on, Pete. Oh no, are we getting there right now? Is this it? <laughs> you can you we can stall even, for time if you like. We didn't even talk about that it's New Year's and there's new who tonight. And there's, there's new who. Okay, yeah. let's talk about oh, new oh, who. Oh god, I have to it's, oh, a little bit here. Wow. <clears throat> it's called the Eve of the Daleks, right? It's a 299th story on the Pull to Open Codex. It will be in a few short it hours. It will be. Yeah. Yes. Mm. For sure, uh, but Flux we decided was one whole episode. Yes, right? uh, the, yes. Flux is absolutely one episode. This is one episode. So I'm I'm very excited that we are on the cusp of 300 stories to weave our random way through. All right. And, yeah. Speaking of pushes, yeah. the push for 300. <laughs> that'll yep. happen, I guess, a, a Easter or something. Yeah, I think there's there's an Easter special coming up. 
Um, I didn't even know that the name of Eve of the Daleks until until you mentioned it just now. So I know nothing about the new special. Very excited to. Yeah, I've, I only See know from I'm... honestly social media. Um, mm-hmm. I've just been seeing like the official accounts tweeting out images with Dan and others. <gasps> who I gather survives flux because my big question to you, Chris, oh, yeah. is that, <laughs> should I should I binge the rest of Flux before I watch Eve of the Daleks? I I, I think so. Yes, no. uh, okay. I think you know you need to know where we're at and exactly which reset buttons have been hit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll do it then. I've I've been such a bad fan this whole holiday. I've I've got a lot of personal sort of journeying and <laughs> physical mm-hmm. journey, literally going to other cities and uh, prepping in my daily life uh, for other things in the new year that I really have not had the chance to sit down with my family to watch the rest of Flux. Uh, but I it's think I'm going to bite the bullet and just kind of watch it on my own, so that it, yep. I, I at least I go to Eve of the Daleks with some knowledge. So I know what I'm doing after this recording. And, and I know how, how difficult that is. I mean, it is sort of generally a thing in my family that my wife and I, we were brought together by Doctor Who, and we uh, almost always watch the new stuff together, and it's kind of sacrilegious if we don't. So, Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I so totally when, you, you. when you are in that, and it's great to have that relationship because you get to have bounce things off of people and discuss it right after, and that really gets your juices flowing. But mm. Uh, it does mean it's uh, sometimes a Herculean task and scheduling to make mm. sure you can actually watch this stuff because uh, everything's kind of. I mean, isn't it interesting? Because it's like now that everything's on demand, it's like yeah. just finding the time, and there's never time. Whereas when it was like appointment television, when it was like, mm. oh, it's Sun, or it's Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is, you would you would do it. There were you were more inclined to actually do it. Now it's like, oh, it's always going to be on some app somewhere. I'll just watch it yeah. whenever. If we were recording this 10 years ago we'd, we'd have to you know seek the dvds or maybe mm. look on the uh the dark web as it were for <laughs> uh rips of the dvds you know rips and, uh, wow that takes me back right rip yeah. makes burn <laughs> <laughs> yeah man 2000s kids unite um Every, yeah, every so, real Doctor Who fan had uh, had a flirtation with BitTorrent back in the day. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I do have a very strong memory when when Netflix started streaming. Um, they one of the things that they had because obviously they didn't have the vast library that they have now. But one of the things they they put on very early was was Doctor Who, and I remember mm. I think the very first thing I streamed on Netflix was uh, the first episode of Spearhead from Space. Because, oh, neat. Yeah. I'd never, I'd never seen that, you know, like a lot of Doctor Who, I'd never seen, but uh, I'd never seen the post regeneration, and uh, it, <laughs> it was, you know, well, we all know what Spearhead from Space is like. It's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually, but, but it, yeah, it was just wonderful to think that Doctor Who was now on demand, and that's mm. such a strong memory of mine from the the beginning of the streaming era. And yes, here we are, with it all sitting there on BritBox. And right. just some with not warnings. enough time to do it. <laughs> some with warnings. With warnings. And not not quite on this one. Not on this one. Although you yeah. might you might think after watching it, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, I think, think we actually, we needed a warning for Lena's sexy outfit <laughs> and perhaps some situational stuff that happens around it. But yeah, let's get into it. I think I've stalled quite enough. And by the way, everyone enjoy <laughs> Eve of the Daleks. I'm sure by the time you listen to this, it's going to be well spoiled on the internet. So uh, mm. we'll we'll maybe chat briefly about that next time. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to stay off Twitter all day until I've for sure gather the um, fam to watch this. Thing. That's that's the general North American 
thing you just got to do on doctor you can't mm-hmm. you can't go near the internet for that 7 to 8 hours between the UK broadcast and our broadcast but yeah. here it is thanks, chris thanks uk we've come to it <laughs> where i have to summarize yes our the plot of the adventure that we just uh watched yes image of the, the segment, this is the segment we call tldw too long doctor who or too long you didn't watch, but we did. <laughs> we watched so you didn't have to, uh, which I, I would say is probably a good thing with this particular story. But we'll see. Uh, we'll anyway, see. it is a old Who episode, and we give 30 seconds per episode for for uh, the summarizer, which in this case is Pete. Yeah, And there are four episodes. So, Pete, you have two minutes. Two whole minutes, okay. Two whole minutes to tell us okay. the entire plot of Image of the Vendor. So, the pressure is really on. Um, I know because yeah. Classic Who tends to be, we've, as we found, maybe it's slightly easier because you have just a little more time. Because uh, most of these are four episodes or longer. But honestly, like I feel the pressure because we've, mm. we've both done a pretty good job in the last few times of, of doing right. summaries. And now I feel like uh, I'm, I'm the pressure is now like, don't break the streak, right? <laughs> I, I will say I'm so glad it's not me this week. Well, yeah. And this one is a little <laughs> bit, there's, there's places I could I already feel like it's going to go wrong. As I was getting ready to record, I was thinking, oh, right, I've got to do this one. Dang. And I actually it's, read some plot summaries and they didn't yeah. help. They didn't help at all. <laughs> Uh, like there I is a, it, but. there's definitely a WTF is going on element to mm. a lot of Image the Fendal. So I'm very excited to hear <laughs> where right. you will take us. And uh, good luck. Don't don't get snagged on right. individual scenes. I think this is this is yes. what we've learned. Yes. From. Okay. So I've hidden all my windows. I'm staring at absolutely yep. nothing but a blank desktop. Can't even yep. see the Zencaster. Um, <laughs> just give me a countdown and I'll go. All right. In three, two, one. Go. Okay, it's modern day England, and uh, the there's uh, the doctor in Leela and the TARDIS, and they zero in on a signal they get, which is from sort of a sonic time scanner uh, that's being uh, emanated from this place in rural England where there's a bunch of scientists at this old um, mansion type place uh, that. They're investigating a skull. Why are they investigating this skull? What's interesting about the skull? Well, it's 12 million years old, and it was recently excavated. How can it be 12 million years old? Humans have only been around for a few million years on Earth. That's the big conundrum here, so they're investigating it. It turns out that this skull uh, is actually uh, an alien that has fallen uh, to Earth uh, millions of years ago. It's originally from the fifth planet. The, the what fifth planet? Jupiter? No, there was a fifth planet between Mars and Jupiter, and this uh, evolution went up a blind alley and created something called the Fendal that was actually so dangerous the Time Lords destroyed the whole planet, but it somehow escaped before then, projected itself on Earth, and uh, was sort of buried for millions of years to be found. And it has actually been influencing evolution in some ways, and actually, in, we're not really exactly sure how, there's a couple different ways, but it's it's basically been playing this super long chess game and positioning all these people, the scientists and the time fisher where that is close by this village and everything to sort of recreate itself and it's a gestalt creature which is a uh, 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 actually made up of all these weird worm-like things that are called Fendeline. And the doctor gets there and uh, figures all this stuff out, uh, you know, makes sure the the people there uh, are uh, protected to the extent that he can, but a lot of them die. And then he basically gets the Fendal 
uh, the skull in a box at the end uh, by distracting all the Fendaline, and he takes it in the TARDIS uh, to to throw it in a supernova and destroy it, uh, thus eliminating the danger. And uh, he, he has a new outfit. <laughs> Nice. Good uh, job. Good job. I, uh, I, I had, there was so much to explain with the Fendal itself. I, I realized yes. I was like half over and I was only explaining that, that I, I couldn't really even say anything about the horror stuff. And I, <laughs> there was a point like when I talked about like the people, I was like, wait a minute, he doesn't protect anybody. Like other than yeah. like, like a lot of people die and the, he just gets rid of the Fendal. Um, which yeah, is, the kind, of is weird, kind of a weird thing in this one. There's a the lot of is kind die. of rubbish. I mean, yeah. it, it's he's he's classic Tom Baker. Uh, you know, it, he's he's bumbling around in a in wonderful Tom Baker way. It's you know, he's really having fun with it. You can certainly tell, but he's kind of sidelined or kind of remote for yeah. a lot of the story. Well, he's barely um, barely in episode one. I mean, he's in mm. it. It's just that he doesn't do anything. He just kind of gets there. Mm. And then the, uh, the cliffhanger is he's paralyzed. He's not even yeah. moving. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you didn't really mention the, um, the, the, the local yokel aspect of right. this episode is, is strong. Uh, particularly with uh, mother Tyler, mm. Martha Tyler. Right. Yeah. No, re- no relation <laughs> maybe, or maybe a relation. Interesting. To, to, oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. Tyler, I, I just got that. <laughs> right. Jack Tyler. Yeah. Yep. They, are, they are the Tylers. She's Martha Tyler, which is an even more interesting thing. I wonder if RTD was influenced uh, to create uh, both of the, the first two companions of New Who. Uh, yeah. From, from interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of Marthas, Tylers, and Joneses in Doctor Who. <laughs> Jacks and Jackies. But Martha um, Tyler is she kind of steals uh Daphne Heard played it, she kind of steals the scene, uh every scene she's in, pretty much by yeah, being it's funny. sort of because she's yes. not she's she's kind of there at the beginning and she's kind of just the creepy old woman yeah. stereotype. She says something to the security guard at the uh Priori Priory? I don't forget what's how do you pronounce that? Right. She was the cook for the scientists, right? right? And then she yeah. gets basically booted by some officious asshole. Who's been drafted in as security, right? And and then goes home, and it turns out all all of her, all of her, you know, talking of magic and charms and putting rock salt in uh, bullets, uh, all this stuff turns out to be accurate. Like you know, all all of this old wives' tale stuff that she keeps spinning. Yeah, well, um, there's a there's a bit you know, there's sort of a turning point for her character, I think, where the yeah. doctor, I think it's in episode three, where the doctor basically says she's lived here all her life and there's a time fisher here. Yes. And she's, she's like, it's not unusual in that case. And the way for someone to like manifest precognition and certain mm. abilities, which is kind of an interesting, like this sort of idea. One, it's, mm-hmm. it's ambitious. Like this is the thing about the episode. There's a lot of ambitious stuff thrown in, right? Like, uh, it doesn't you know, necessarily pan out. Yeah. Yeah. Right, like so. the human evolution. I mean, it's compelling stuff and, and that mm. they, they try, he tries to explain almost all sort of paranormal stuff by this time Fisher idea. The doctor even says at one point, like, you know, this is, I think he actually explicitly says that like time fishers, it's where this is what, what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for it's 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 I don't know if that really works, but it works for her character because that's the turning point where she kind of becomes really pivotal 
and key to the rest of the the episode and them actually being able to fight off these fendaline things um, and and she sort of has the most memorable line at the end like after after they fought off the the first batch of fendaline uh you know she she she's with her her grandson jack right uh and and she's like there's gonna come a day uh, i'll get too old for this sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> and and it okay really is, Murtaugh, sort of, Sergeant i mean Murtaugh. You you say it's set in modern day Britain, but it's it's definitely got a you know uh, a uh, old Britain kind of feel. A you know Martha Tyler is very much a character you don't see anymore. Right. Uh, it's not, it's a, like modern Britain for when it was broadcast. Mm, I mean, I I don't know, but I guess yeah. I guess even for then, yeah, you would say like this is more of a almost Downton well, Abbey, at least one half of it. Like, <laughs> well, it's kind of a reminder that even in 1977, when this was airing, it's right. sort of like the, uh, the the old Britain was still there, kind mm. of pretty close to the surface. Um, and it's sort of fascinating. I mean, I, I really didn't like a lot of the episode because so much of it is taken up by scenery-chewing actors playing the scientists. Agreed. Right? Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> Max and Colby are just, wow. Yeah, nice. I mean, dial it down a bit. Well, Max is like they're they're both bad in their own way. Like Max yeah. is kind of a nobody. You almost think he's going to be a bit of a nighter, if you remember that character from Genesis of the Daleks. Basically, like a lieutenant who's ruthless. You almost feel like that's his thing in his initial interactions with Fendelman. Yeah, but he, you know, obviously the tables turn and he becomes the the head of the coven. Or whatever, mm-hmm. and then they're all he's he's the guy who has the the designs on megalomaniacal power. So it's a bit of a interesting mislead there because you you're led to believe Fendelman's the bad guy, but it's really this yeah. dude. Uh, but he's so bland. Like all of his yeah. lines are like, "You are your fools," or you know, that's just really kind of like paint by numbers, mustache twisting, evil guy stuff. And and he never even gets a good costume, even when he's like at the end there, and it's the, the, he's got the pentagram set up, and he's got all his followers. He's still wearing that lab coat, and I'm yeah. like, dude, where's they, your like? All they could afford. Yeah, was lab where's coats. your where's your weird headdress and like robes and stuff? Like, you know, you're not even looking the part. Yeah, they they really uh, spent all the costume budget on the Fendal. Mm. Uh, that that Thea. We should mention Thea, the the yeah. other scientist who really doesn't get any kind of backstory, right? Yeah. We, we don't particularly care when she turns into the Fendal. And that's sort of the thing. They, they, these, these characters are so uninteresting to us and uninteresting to the Doctor even. Like yeah. he, he hands a gun to, uh, oh God, who, is it Max? No. Um, um, God, oh, who's, they, who's the, the rifle? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. The the gun at the end to shoot himself. Oh, yeah, Max to Max. Shoots himself. Max yeah. Yes, and he's just like, yeah, his his. Uh, you know, Max is like, oh, the, there's a gun on the altar. It's not, and Doctor's like, that's not going to work on the Fendel. And Max is like, no, it's for me. He's like, Doctor's like, okay, sure. <laughs> there you go. Sorry about one this. Le- one less Fendeline to deal with. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was a, a bad scene on a couple of levels. One, I mean, you know, we we've seen this a little bit with Baker, certainly, like mm. the, his coldness and sort of this um, definitely a, a change in newer who when he's really fighting for every life. Like he, there's, yeah. there's more of a 
I'm playing a bigger chess game of sense from Tom Baker's era. And this is definitely one of those one of those episodes. Yeah, um, we, we've on our pull to open journey, we, we've sort of seen a lot of moments in Classico where the Doctor is just sort of surprisingly cold. You know, I think of uh, uh, Planet of Fire, right. where he basically oh, destroys yeah. uh, the. Oh God, my brain the is master. running slowly today. Yeah. No, well, oh, and, and the yes, yeah. and and the chameleon, yes, and yeah. chameleon, where he he's just sort of like, okay, here you go, assisted suicide kind of situation. Um, At least I would say in that case it was intentional, and here it's yes. a little more casual. And yeah, I, I don't like the taste of it here as much. Um, yeah, it's that, not entirely clear what the stakes are at, at any juncture. First of all, it's just you know that there's a pentagram. There's yeah. there's the Fendals sort of dancing around. I mean, you know, really well done to Wanda Ventum who plays Thea, uh, right. who becomes the Fendal. He's just sort of like there, kind of waving her arms a lot uh, in the in the sort of the scary moments where she's manifesting. Um, mm. But like, what exactly is happening? And you you only get told briefly that they need twelve people, or is it thirteen? Yeah, twelve Fendaline plus her. It's yeah, like the installed creature. Yeah, there's there's so much that's done wrong. Like like you're you're dead on in that. The stakes on any, like the overall stakes are made clear, but the, any individual scene, they're really confused. Like the doctor just mm. kind of goes into the basement at one point and it's very open. Like this is where the, the pentagram is. And, <laughs> you know, that the, the, the Fendal is sort of doing, turning things into Fendaline, but there doesn't and seem to be much danger. Like it's also yeah. at some point you're like, why are you even trying to hide? Cause I can see you. And if I can see you, the Fendal can see you. And there's a, there's a point <laughs> that you were just talked about where he gets the gun like he's he's clearly just wandering around this room and got like giving stuff to whoever right in front of the bad guy yeah. with no consequence like what what's the threat here exactly yeah and and the costume is so sort of cool and you know the, 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 the dancing is kind of oh, yeah. yeah the, the fendal costume and the the eyelids sort of painted on the outside it's yeah, I didn't super mind that. cool yeah, yeah, I like I, mean, I like the eyelid painting stuff. Some people like don't, but I, I that was a classic who thing they used a bunch of times, yeah. and it's usually done pretty well. I thought it was done well here, and it's such an iconic image. It's, it's actually all that I knew of image of the Fendal as, as the kid. As a kid, was the the image of the Fendal itself was it's just that, and that, this is a lot of thing about this sort of era of who. It's like the, it throws up these kind of classic images that don't necessarily uh, follow through into a great story, but. You know, I, I will remember the Fendal forever. I'll remember her, her beautiful gold costume, has kind of this this sort of Greek statue look, and um, mm. you know, I, I sort of overuse on pull to open the notion that uh, certain eras of Doctor Who kind of look like a David Bowie video. Uh, <laughs> this this is, I mean, Fendal's costume could be a David Bowie costume. All that the gold and the eyelids, like it, it really has a music video kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I will say you're right, you're dead on in that this is a very memorable episode for all of its flaws, uh, partly because mm. of the things you cited in the costuming, um, but also and, and just sort of the the sort of big picture stakes, um, which are kind of interesting, like the idea that the Time Lords destroyed the yes. fifth planet in our star system to prevent this weird backwards what did they call it? it's like evolutionary blind alley 
where yeah, going up a blind alley, something like which, natural selection turned in on itself. So this thing, this thing evolves that basically just consumes life itself, even its own kind, until presumably there was like only one of these things left, you know, and and they had to destroy the whole planet to try to get it, but it didn't yeah. work. That's pretty. I was cool. really hoping for more Time Lord mythology hmm. um, in this one because it is. It is kind of rare to mention the Time Lords right. in, a, in a kind of a gothic adventure like this. Um, Doctor Sim strangely an interest in talking about it. There's there's a weird jump cut at one point to he and Leela going searching for the for this planet, right? right. So, well, they, yeah, they go back in sure time. What they're doing. They go yeah. back in time to try and find it. Yeah, but, well, that's the thing. It's just like it's a pile of stuff at some point. Because yeah. I like the idea of them doing that, because this is that's a cool sort of Doctor Who thing you can do. You can actually yeah. step out of the adventure for yes. a minute. It's a good sort of thing to do for pacing and some exposition and just sort of like show the greater mythology of the show, which is great. But here it's like, what? It, not much is delivered, one, which is kind of okay. It's a bit of a mislead. But the other thing yeah. is like, I remember he goes like, okay, we're going to come back tomorrow night. Which I'm like, wait a minute, you got a time machine, dude. Like, why, why don't you come back 10 minutes earlier? Seriously. Fact, like, it's like, what is that about? And um, there's a point where we cut to Leela on the floor of the TARDIS. Yes. For no apparent reason. Yeah. None. And it's super weird. And you just sort of, like, I, I got really sort of creepy vibes in the way that Louise Jameson is, is used in this episode. Like, she gets know, knocked out and thrown on the floor yes. a couple of times uh, or dr- falls to the floor. And the costume uh, doesn't leave. Outfit. Yes, the costume doesn't leave much to the imagination. It's kind of one of the first things I knew about Leela before I saw a lot of her episodes. Was I read uh, the whatever the Doctor Who companion book that came out for the twenty fifth anniversary was, and um, and it talked a lot about you know it was a sort of a nudge and a wink about how Leela was brought in for the dads, you know, <laughs> uh, who were watching after the sports to keep them watching because here's this. Is this woman in a skimpy outfit, and you can really see kind of almost everything, and it just sort of, yeah, especially in this setting, yeah, especially in the setting where sort of everyone's bundled up and it's kind of clearly cold and misty, and have her running around like this, it just sort of, you know, it. it, Yeah, I mean, the thing is, she's capable, and mm. it like her character's good and sort of like you can kind of forgive some of the 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 outfit implications on on a story level but here i just feel like on top of the sort of costume issues it's she's thrown around physically in these ways that are even more compromising and even that point where the doctor ends up pretty much on top of her could have been worse. could have been worse (laughs) like luckily like it's not played in any way like there's not even i think much of a double entendre there or maybe i've just missed it but it's like you, you just the fear the, the sheer look of that moment where tom baker's like yes. right on top of a scantily clad louise jameson just okay, okay all right the, the, the hands are, are sort of going uncomfortable places in that in yeah. that scene and it's it's so i i watch on britbox on apple tv and there's always like a preview image of the episode and uh, it took me a while to to get to episode four so it was just sort of sitting there in the preview and it's a basically a still of Tom Baker and Louise Jameson laughing. And he's basically on top of her in a very compromising position, you know, when they've just sort of uh, escaped or killed the Fendaline. Um, and the, it just right. sort of, it looks like an outtake. It's super weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, luckily they get but, out of it quickly. But yeah, I think ultimately, yeah. like Louise Jameson said, she really likes this episode. I think shows she liked huh. the writing. Um, her character, like like when she's not in those positions, is is okay. You know, like I mean, she's Leela. She's strong and she's pulling out her knife. Uh, particularly like the bit in the first episode. It's classic Leela. She's just got the old guy with the yeah. knife to his throat. And yeah, she feels a lot more Leela esque in episode one, and then it sort of just fades. And the story forgets about her a little bit. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about holding the knife up to that guy, though, I sort of, hmm. I, I liked watching it this time because I sort of, sort of caught, like, I, I don't think I even caught it the first time when I was first years and years ago, where hmm. that's the same guy later who's bad. Like, he's he's part of, he's one of the followers of Max. Um, hmm. So her instincts were correct. Like, he wasn't just hanging out and, like, yeah. the innocent villager just doing things he's he's a bad guy uh and so it sort of uh, you know gives leela a little bit more um credibility and he's, she's not just this bumbling savage that just yeah. grabs whoever it's sort of it's interesting because we're in the season after the talent of when chiang right which was the last time mm. that the randomizer took us to a leela episode and she was really strong in that she was such a strong mm. character and very well written uh in a great costume for Victorian London, um, you know, not not so distracting for the dads watching, right? Um, and uh, yeah, it's and and to come here and to see her sort of sadly diminished a season later, it feels like we've gone backwards. Yeah, so literally diminished in the case of her hair, which yeah. <laughs> apparently was a bit of a flub on the hairdresser. I guess yeah, she didn't want it cut that short, and then they did, so they were like, well, I guess we'll we'll just put it up. There we go. Yeah. Sorry, Louise. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a mess, which is very unfortunate. And and it's really, it's definitely one of those Doctor Who stories where where the other actors are. The, the, it's almost like they're saying, "This is our one shot at being on TV, and we're going <laughs> to act the hell out of it. We're going to shout." I mean, Colby's character. <sighs> yeah, let's talk about him. He was super annoying. Um, yeah, and he shouldn't be. Like, here's the thing: yeah. Colby's character is there to be kind of the cipher a bit for the audience because mm. Leela is not quite normal and he's he's kind of the regular guy who's either... He's, he's a little bit like... Do you remember Inferno? And yeah. who is that guy? Um, uh, the, the Australian guy, Sutton. Yeah, yes. Sutton who came... And he's sort of like the the, the sensible one. Yeah. You know, you who, feel who like that's going to be you, his role. This is madness and, you know, we've got corpses turning up and what the hell are you doing? And Yeah, but, but he, he seems he takes, goes straight from zero to 60 on the snark level. Yeah, and, and, and at <laughs> the weirdest times and, and like even at times he really shouldn't be right. There's a point where he's like a prisoner and he's tied to the pillar. Yeah. And this is a point where you really should be like getting like trying to l- learn more about your opponent and mm. finding some way to get out of like and he's just like he just keeps insulting the guy. Yeah. But like no, and he, he actually almost says, "Oh, enough of your speechy!" Like I don't want to hear it. Like, I, I, what are you doing? Like, like this is the guy who you you should be talking to and negotiating with or something. But you shouldn't be just trying to insult him and shut him down. Like, yeah, what are you thinking, dude? I mean, he has, in theory, he has an interesting character arc because right at the end, he comes to accept the Tylers, right? Right. Even, even after being super insulting to martha tyler with with all this story oh you you old witch this is all your fault right uh and then at the end i mean we we sort of we we were robbed of a scene 
that really should have been the end of all of them, you know, having having scones and tea from Martha Tyler's best best china. <laughs> uh, you know, right. it's such a British moment, like when the the threat of the Fandal is over and the explosion happens. Uh, by the way, I'm really not sure what the hell they were blowing up or how or why or why the flames were going backwards. But mm. I appreciated the trippy music video aspect of that. Um, well, they couldn't blow up the place. Did you know yeah. that was like the the estate was actually the same estate <laughs> they had filmed Pyramids of Mars in? Yeah. So speaking of randomizer connections, yes, that's a pretty good one. Um, but it's it's actually owned by Mick Jagger. It was. Mm. And so apparently, like he was, yeah, man, go ahead and film there. The only thing they he required, like, was, well, not the only thing, but like one of the key things was you can't do any like explosion stuff. Like, <laughs> don't do any of that. Film all you I want. Sort of picture the negotiations, negotiations with Mick Jagger and the you know the the BBC production team. They're sort of hiding explosives behind their back. Like, nope, yep, okay, no, <laughs> no, we're not going to. Yeah, that that would be such a easy thing to do in the script that we've done a million times before to actually blow up the match. Nope, we're not going to do that. <laughs> well, but they do it. Um, it's just it's all effects, and it's all like yes. you know they they actually reverse the flames at one point. But I guess that's okay because it's supposedly an implosion. Yes. Um, yeah. But the the, the uh, so to hide from this, Colby and the Tylers hide under the table, right in, uh, yeah. in the Tylers' cottage. Yeah. And they're all sort of cuddled up together. It's kind of sweet. They've all got their arms around each other. <laughs> and it's it's kind of, it, it could have been a good character arc of Colby learning to accept the the weird witch in the neighborhood who actually has more information than, than he, a snarky scientist, could ever have, have dreamed of. Yeah, um, if only we cared about him. Yeah, I know. And it's weird because he sort of grasps everything the doctor's telling him immediately and kind of talks yeah. about, oh, Oh, so evolution went down a blind alley, did it? Well, that, you know, and he starts theorizing. Well, uh, that's the great thing. This is where that dialogue actually he's is able to do its job because the doctor mm. can talk to someone who who kind of at least knows a little bit of what he's talking about, which is why I think Leela for this kind of thing doesn't quite work. She's not that that mm. sort of stepped between the doctor and the audience that you kind of need. Right. Um, it's not a sounding so that, board. That's yeah, that's that's like the best um, scene for Colby when they're kind of going back mm. and forth on the theories of how the Fendal could have influenced mankind either sort of just through sort of this broad effect, like, you know, they sort of debate on how sweeping it would be, which I really like that they keep it open-ended actually, but it's like, did the Fendal like literally create man or influence, you know, uh, hominids in, in its own image mm. to, or was it much more subtle by like simply, inserting some RNA here and there to uh, yeah. move these things together. And you could chalk the rest up to coincidence. Like the thing that, you know, that Fendelman's name is, is man of the Fendal. Yeah. That, yeah. Know. And, and, you know, I, I love, I love that they talk about RNA first of all, Yeah, having, having uh, all just taken our messenger RNA boosters it works. It's <laughs> <laughs> a real thing. It's a, it's a real thing. So there's a, there's real science at play here, and I, I kind of wanted more of those scenes because the the story is clearly reaching for some sort of intersection of magic and science, right? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Basically, you know, proving the Arthur C. Clarke quote about any sufficiently advanced technology is in, is indistinguishable from magic, and what the Fendal is doing is so advanced that even the Doctor is like, uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> the doctor's sort of strangely unsure exactly. 
what's going on here with the entirety of human evolution. Even though he gets like, he's strangely really well informed. It's this thing that mm. happens with Baker episodes in, of this nature where he just comes in. Oh, seems like the fend that's a Fendeline, I think, you know, like I know what that is. And mm. there's even a point where he, he says, don't look at her eyes. Right. Yes. And it's like, well, how do you know not to do that? You know, these sort of magical things he just kind of knows. Don't do this, yeah. do that. And, um, Saul it was, kills it, them. Uh, although he kind of deduces that, I guess, arguably, but it's, it's interesting. Cause, yeah. cause over the Christmas break, I introduced Dr. Who to a friend I'd uh, never seen any of it before. And the thing I always do, the episode I always go to is Blink. Mm. Uh, so that was very strong, very recent in my mind. You know, the just every time I watch Blink, I'm like, this is such a masterclass in how to write a story, right? Because the stakes are clear, mm. <clears throat> even as, as the stakes are revealed. And, uh, you know, and it's that, that super strong scene of like, don't blink. Okay, I get it. I understand. Mm. Uh, because they seeded that. And and then I, I was reminded of that by this sort of weak moment of, of don't look at her eyes. And it's just like, yeah, but why? Yeah. What happens if you look, you know, none of it's been established. And it's just kind of a mess. And yeah, well, thinking, also, you, like, there's the bit where he's trying to get Max, and oh, you've already looked at her eyes, it's too late. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. really? Okay, well, didn't, like... Like, because the guy kind of looks at the Fendal, or when they're there late, or the Fendaline, sorry, because the Fendal and the Fendaline are in the hallway at one point. And Leela kind of looks up for a second mm. when she's got the gun. And you're like, oh, wait, did she just do it? Oh, I guess she, that didn't count. Like, is, uh, does it, is it okay if she shoots it with salt and then they're okay? Like, I don't know. It's, it was yeah. a weird, weird thing. And there's, like I say, like, there's a lot of good ideas here. There's a lot of good atmosphere. At some point, though, it just sort of, uh, the house of cards just falls apart. You're just kind of like, wait, yeah. what's going on? What happened? Um, and you really like it, your liking of the story depends on how much you're really buying into the atmosphere of it. Cause I got to say atmospherically, it's quite good. It yeah. really is like an epitome of what I would characterize as this late seventies, early eighties sort of uh, Gothic horror devil. You know, you think about things at the time, right? Like devil worship. Mm -hmm. Everyone was worried about, there was like this is John Carpenter's height, and he's doing like Prince of Darkness and and whatever else. Uh, there's all this, uh, even yeah, stuff like Pyramid of Mars had elements of this, which was more Egyptology, but sort of that spooky nature of it. It's yeah, all we're sort there of in in the world. We're sort of entering the the Satanic Panic era. Yeah, right? yeah, that's what I was getting at. Exactly, and and this Entergrams. is this is definitely an example of that. You know, these days you see a pentagram and you just like, eh. <laughs> eh, okay where's the golf um, party yeah, yeah. but the, he, here it's sort of presented as a thing that should be scary in itself to the audience and it's an interesting choice to to have the fendal not speak at all but yeah. I, I really i would have loved some fendal dialogue uh yeah agreed just to help explain the stakes well uh, apparently the writer who is chris yeah. boucher boucher i don't mm -hmm. know I'm not sure if i pronounced that right boucher i think yeah. boucher uh boucher Chris Boucher. Boucher. Um, but he, <laughs> he, Boucher. he wrote The Face of Evil as well, uh, mm. and also one of my all-time favorites, uh, Robots of Death, which we'll, we'll get to eventually. Um, but he said, he's on record as saying, like, he, he can't write dialogue for God. And he, he mm. because the scripts call sometimes for these godlike beings, he really shies away from uh dialogue there and i get the idea because it's like nothing that you write could be what people would imagine the thought process of a godlike being would be 
But mm. if you don't have anything there between the doctor and whatever the adversary is, you you damn well better make sure there's someone who who is of sort of a comparable intellect and um, mind to the doctor to to go up against and and that person doesn't exist right like there's maybe yeah. Fendelman but that he's off and certainly the Max uh, Stale guy is not I mean is that I think that's how it is Max Stale or is it Steel yes Max Stale Stale okay You're pretty Stale it's super confusing <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of Stale yes uh, but I I really think you, you, we should have uh, reduced the number of scientists. Yeah. And give give Doctor Fendelman his sort of uh, you know chance at acting the villain, which is sort of where you want him to be, especially with that great German accent of his. You know, yeah, he, he he could have been another Stallman. He um, could have, and he he he. I, I don't mind the mislead, right? Like you think mm. he's going to be that, and then he doesn't. It's just that well, what you replace him with has to be better, worse, you know, like, you know, whatever you want to look at it. But, and you just have this woman dancing around in a costume, some, you know, paper mache caterpillars and this stale guy. I mean, it's like, <laughs> all right, well, I guess they, they sure, don't, yeah. they don't add up to much. Yeah, they really don't. And can we talk about the Fendeline? I think <laughs> we that can. coming, coming Let's here uh, after so recently doing the green death with the super cute maggots, hmm. uh, it's it's basically the Fendelina basically maggots plus premium right. maggots uh, with the same kind of kind of cute little mouths. They got the little, uh, more of a triffid feel, perhaps. They got little little tendrils coming yeah. out of their mouths. The little uh, it's like, okay, but that's but cool. once again, I mean, do you, do you think the Fendelin were kind of a, a scary monster in the uh, in the Doctor Who roster of monsters? You know, I remember thinking they were scary. Here's the thing: when I went sat down to watch this. I actually remember being a little scared and freaked out by this one when I watched mm. it as like a teenager. And I actually turned out all the lights to see if I could mm. evoke that feeling again and watched it like at 11 at night or something. And it wasn't, didn't quite deliver. Right. And I, I, mm. the, when, when I saw the Fendeline in the hallway, the first full size one, um, I, I like that moment and uh, it's, but it has nothing to do with what the monster looks like. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's just kind of this plotting, slow moving bug thing that goes down way too easily. And you never really get to see what they do, right? You want to see mm. something. Like, I can't even remember. Is anyone actually killed by a Fendeline? Yeah. And no, is it, no, there's no, there's no, um, uh, danger from the Fendeline really. Yeah. And it's he, not made clear. Exactly. So they just kind of look ominous when they're full size and, uh, on top of that, you never like uh, they don't fully explain the gestalt creature. Is it literally mm. just the person and twelve individuals and uh, individual Fendeline? And then so then how does that how is that a gestalt thing, right? Like, do they actually physically come together and turn into something mm. else, which is kind of would be cool, but you never see it. Um, yeah, and and you don't see a lot really until the fourth episode, right? It's three episodes right. of running around the mansion, and then only at the episode end of episode three i believe do we get introduced to our first fendeline uh is, i think it's episode two right isn't that the cliffhanger or am i wrong what's the cliffhanger? I, th I think it's a little later than that but yeah okay. it's, it's sort of if this was a modern who story you you would compress those for the hell out of those first three episodes yeah right um oh no you're right it, it is in episode three because the episode yeah. two cliffhanger is, is the doctor does the grabbing the glowing skull move 
<laughs> and uh, uh, for d- no real reason, I guess he's just checking it out. Like, I, yeah. what are you doing, uh, dude? That's kind of the bad thing right there. Very weird. Yeah. Why, why, why grab the glowing skull, Doctor? I know you're, you're interested in mysteries, but geez, well, and th- th- you're, it, you're better than this. It sets up the end where I love it. Like, uh, he basically defeats the Fendal with an oven mitt and a box. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what he does. It's, it's very British. You're like, oh, I, British, I, I yeah. can't grab it with my bare hand, but if I grab it with an oven mitt, I'm okay. Yeah. And I'll just throw it in this <laughs> box and I'll throw that box into a supernova and we're, we're yeah. done here. <laughs> and and then sort of weirdly, the, the the canine bits right at the beginning and then right at the end, like you're supposed to care about whether the doctor wants canine as as his dog. Yeah. And then kind of it's settled right at the end where he's like, well, it is my dog. And, and canine nods and Leela's you know, sort of glowing at the fact that they've got a dog now. And uh, But it's just sort of tacked on. Well, it's the most non sequitur bookends. Yeah. If you think about yeah. it, like it's just random stuff that was going on outside of this adventure. And we'll just throw it in here and here. And I remember that ending is just so like, it reminded me honestly, like of old Star Treks a little bit yeah. where there'd just be this very serious episode and everyone's just on the bridge. Oh, wow, Spock, that was really funny. And we're just on this wagon train, this yeah. which kind of worked like, for Star Trek. But here it was just like, what? We just. Yeah. Why, why should we care about? I mean, you know, if, if maybe if you'd watched The Invisible Enemy the previous week and you're like, oh, oh, the doctor ran off with a robot dog and uh, from the 50th century. And, and let's, let's know more about that. And they, they sort of. But it, it's so tacked on, so not blended into the script. And I think that a. Uh, a more checked-in script editor might have might have blended this in a little better, but this was Robert Holmes' last story. I it think. was a script editor. Uh, yeah, he does sort of feel like he's kind of checked out here. Yeah, it he's definitely feels checked the exits out already. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you feel like, it's particularly like the the discontinuities with Lila on the floor, and then in, I think in episode two, the Doctor. This has been mentioned in a lot of places. He gets out of the broom closet or wherever he is. Mm with no explanation like he's locked in there and then suddenly the door he just opens the door and he's just out and yeah thank you for mentioning that because i think uh it may be time to insert one of our new regular features which is where is the clara splinter? oh <laughs> uh, that didn't occur to me but that makes perfect sense because right. that is such a plot hole that someone opens that door right and and the doctor's out and it's never explained claire's in the hallway she just yep. the splinter comes in. There you go. You're out, and now you can <laughs> get your oven mitt. <laughs> and it was the first time since we started doing the Clara Splinter thing that I thought of that at the time. I'm like, oh, there she is. Random door opening. Nice. No explanation. Got to be Clara. But yeah, Robert Holmes uh, leaving isn't just, I think, uh, somewhat attributable to the the uh, carelessness on some of the plot elements. It's that mm. this is kind of the last of the horror era. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I, it's kind of too bad, but kind of like inevitable as well. I think, as we were just talking about in terms of things people were scared of in the era, like uh, you can only milk that so many times. Um, you know, the '80s were fast approaching, which was a whole tonal shift in all of pop culture. Mm. That I think uh, John Nathan Turner, who was at this time, I was you know saw him in the credits as it was going. I forget what his title was. He was, but he was working oh, yeah. on Doctor Who at the time. Yeah, um, you know it's he, interesting. A foreshadowing yeah. there. I always thought of that at the, the end of every credit. Oh, he's here. He's here already, lurking in the background. Yeah. So, so clearly, like with Holmes on the way out, apparently, like some of the violence in this 
this uh, story was toned down a bit um, by. Yeah, do you, do you know what was toned down? Well, there was the the killings with the guns at the mm. end. So when uh, Fendelman gets shot, that's not shown. They actually show his bloody head, which is a little bit yeah. surprising. But there was a much more graphic um, end to the scene where the doctor gives Max the gun. He was actually mm. going to put it in his mouth, and then Jesus. you would cut away. You know, wow. so. That was no, 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 no. It gives him the gun. The doctor walks away, and then you just see him. You know, you, there's the gunshot, and you just see him on the floor. So that yeah, and I, that, that would really play up the fact that the doctor is enabling a suicide here. It's well, it's such a know. terrible, like violent and gross one. <laughs> like I mean, just putting that idea in the heads of children. I mean, I I have to say that probably the right call to not mm. do the gun in the mouth. Uh, uh, you know, particularly at the time. Um, there's there's a thing about the way characters hold guns in old Doctor Who that's super mm. weird, right? It sort of makes you feel like it's a Saturday morning serial or a, or a cowboy kind of uh, movie. The the way they just sort of well, hold, there's so hold much, the pistol like yeah. this, kind of close to the body, like you know, so exaggerated. Yep. Like the the sh- yeah. like the actor's movements are exaggerated to show the gun, and like th- when it's just the gun and a hand, like the zoom in is so massive. Mm. Like, and there was a weird <laughs> point. I just got because we're talking about guns. There's a point where Max wanders into Fendelman's lab with him and Colby, and yeah. pulls out his gun and forces them at gunpoint into the basement. But there's a shot in the middle there where. It looks like Fendelman, I think, but basically they, they zoom in on a gun on the desk while they're at gunpoint already, <laughs> and someone picks up uh, that gun, and n- nothing ever happens with it. You think like yeah. there's going to be a struggle with the guns, or so there's going to be a sort of a Mexican standoff or something. Nope, nothing. It's just it's just randomly <laughs> inserted there again. Another thing it's, where it's like, did, who was this? Like, I guess Holmes. I don't want to blame Holmes for all of it, but like. They were kind of. There was clearly, I think, a certain amount of rush, a bit of a rush job on yeah. image of the. It's, it's literally. You're right. It's literally a Chekhov's gun situation yeah. that doesn't get resolved. So you're, you're breaking <laughs> one of the oldest rules of drama, right there. And it's just that there's also a weird moment. There's a lot of zooming in in that computer room, isn't there? And there's a yeah. weird moment where they zoom in on on the time that is remaining. Yep. Like they've only got three minutes, but like the time is counting up. First of all, which is weird. And it's sort of in the corner of a TV screen and it doesn't even say three minutes and it just kind of adds to the general confusion. Yeah, there's there's so much weird in that room because there's these like glowing panels in the back that are really just there for show. Mm. Then there's all these mm. screens and they're doing different things. And the, and uh, I got to say, it's this is some of the stuff that has not aged well. And I'd really try mm. to give like points for, you know, like I try to take into account the 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 time and whatever, but all this stuff that's like, they're trying to sort of show oscilloscope type things with the waves mm. and whatever. And it's just really too much. You're trying to emphasize the technological aspect here. And to what end? You don't even really have much other than, oh, there's like a sonic time scanner, which is very techno babbly, but also very Doctor yeah. Who. Um, yeah, you get the sense we're supposed to be impressed by this this room with this bank of computers. Right. It's, uh, it's one problem with watching it in, in our era, right? That you can't put yourself back in the minds of someone in 1977 and, and see how kind of futuristic this looks. But given that we'd just been to the green death recently mm-hmm. and we saw boss uh-huh. and the room boss's room kind of has really aged well, even though it's old computer equipment, older than the stuff that we see here. It, it's just sort of 
loud and in your face and well lit and well designed and colorful and you're yeah. like, yeah, this feels it feels Bondesque. Well, I love that the boss also has that thing where your eye goes, which is the big round screen where it's mm. a waveform of his voice, which from a uh, practical, like makes kind of no sense, but it's like that really gives uh, a bigness to both the room, the set, and the threat. You know, mm. like it's all telling a story. Uh, and it's it, you don't need, it doesn't have to be dark right it's all bright boss is so bright uh and, yes. and it's like this big control room and here it's like you know you're in this old mansion with wood paneling and it just felt like every 70s era man cave where <laughs> you might like have a slide projector or like you know a, a 22 inch tv which was probably the best at the time <laughs> and they're like oh, wow look at this i've got massive speakers um <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know check out my subwoofer yeah and my formica film theater ch- chair i don't know like whatever was so- yeah it does does have that 70s hi-fi yeah feel. exactly hi-fi that's not a phrase i've used in a long time yeah oh, goodness. wow find my vcr <laughs> um but yeah it's got that man cave feel thea is there but sort of kind of not really uh you know interposing herself into this very male dominated environment well and she's just ignored i mean like she at some yeah. point is like almost confessing that she's the fendal like she doesn't know it but she's mm. like she says mm. to colby or someone like it's me and he's like nah no nah, it's not you never mind like like again nobody like dude <laughs> like yeah she's in crisis there's, here and could you maybe explore this a bit maybe talk to there's her? so oh. much there's so much mansplaining that i would almost recommend this episode as uh you know Men, if you if you are not understanding what what has been happening in the, you know the the revolution and and feminism in recent years, like take a look at this episode. Take a look at the that the fact that we've got this massive mansplainer in Colby, and kind of a mansplainer in Max, and like it, it's just it's it's all well. The disappointment that she doesn't do anything about it, right? And that's not that's mm. taken as like normal. Like she just yeah. kind of d- tolerates it. She's ignored and just kind of, you know, moves on to the next scene. And it's like, it's just looking at it through the lens of today. It's just so sad that her character is treated that way. And the script and the script treats her that way. You know, like she's just this thing to be possessed by the Fendal. And we, then we just don't care about her. Yeah. And the the doctor sort of casually announces at one point that, that, oh yeah, Thea's dead. Right. You know, forget about (laughs) Thea. She's totally taken over now. And, and nobody cares. The one thousand doctor or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so pull one out for Thea. Absolutely. Folks. So remember, interesting remember. side note that mm-hmm. the the doctor says at the end, "I'm going to toss the skull into a supernova. I'm sure it can't survive that." Well, of course, because in the world of Doctor Who, there's nothing ever dies, and there's dead million, mm-hmm. million sequels. There was actually a sequel written where the Fendal returns. It's an audio adventure called Checkmate, although hmm. it's in the Kaldor City um, series of adventures, which actually sp- spins off of the Robots of Death, another Chris Butcher script. So there's a hmm. weird sort of connection here of combining his two scripts. Uh, Interesting. Ro- and uh, I'm not sure. And that was a bi- it was a big finish audio? It was a big finish audio, and I'm not, I, I never listened to it, so I don't know what happens, but it's interesting that the Doctor is... Like, oh, yeah, well, it's a rabbit supernova, but it totally does. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, why, why not? Why not just have a scene of the doctor throwing it out the door or something? Yeah. There you it know, goes, Lena. Like, bye bye. Yeah. You know, that classic maker. 
But yeah, um, uh, yeah. The, the, did, did the TARDIS set kind of look at its uh, rattiest? Yeah, it's always just, it's kind of it's always rough when you see that the time rotor going up and down and something inside it's shaking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Okay. You, you got you got a drunk operator just below that, sort of like oh, I can't quite keep the the TARDIS. Uh, what, what what do you call what do we call the thing that goes up and down? That's well, the time rotor. It's the time rotor, isn't it? Come on, fans, tell us. Tell us if we're wrong here. That's the time rotor, baby. And but it's so shaky. Oh yeah, my god, you much much rather just didn't it just go up and down. Yeah, because there were times I think in the Hartnell era it would and it would just sort of rotate and the yeah. things inside would do other things. And honestly, much better uh than I would much rather have a black and white rotating Hartnell era mm. than a up and down baker era, shaky <laughs> fluorescent bulb. Era. Seriously, seriously, oh, cool. the, the whole the TARDIS set just kind of looks like it needs a good deep clean. Mm, indeed, uh, yeah, it's just it's kind of ratty, and you know, it, I I always love stories where we go back to the TARDIS. We do in this one. I did not, I did not like that. Uh, I sort of I felt bad for the TARDIS every time we see it. The Doctor's not taking care of the old girl. Yeah, I, I, this is shortly after they they sort of ditched the the old console room, I think, right? Because they did that mm, for like mm-hmm. the first Leela season, and then did we was that in Invisible? I forget. We I think we did the episode where they they brought back this one. I forget if it was Talons or or one of them, but yeah, mm. it's like you brought back this console room for this. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, give it give it's it that bright, shiny, clean. I always remember the uh, the opening of the Five Doctors mm. is. Uh, you know, is Peter Davidson kind of just polishing off the new console because yeah. they brought in a new console for this, and he's kind of he's cleaning it with a cloth. I always remember that scene. Speaking of uh, John Nathan Turner in the eighties, right? Like that yeah, was that right? was full on eighties Doctor Who, and I love it. That was awesome. That that I'd I'd love to sort terrible. of take that to extremes and kind of see see the Doctor on his hands and knees with a bucket and a mop. Or, you know, yeah, uh, kind of give it giving that console a good old deep clean because uh, it really needs it, Doctor. Mm. Before we go and before we trash this episode more, <laughs> I do want to say, well, before we get to the how the evil plot had succeeded, um, mm. I think the hook at the beginning of this is really, really good, which is to say the riddle of the skull mm. is a really good hook. Like, I remembered that hook even before watching it again, even though I haven't seen this in decades. Oh, right. This is the one with the skull that predates any human skull, right? Because that's that's a yeah. good little riddle, particularly in a time travel episode, because you think, as you, oh, this is time travel, maybe there's going to be some time travel involved because it's Doctor Who mm. and some human... Like, this is kind of what you might be thinking, right? And and I remember, like, it really sort of uncorks your imagination and simple and um, very, you know, just it's just really, really compelling. So I, I got to give it really good points for setting up uh, an interesting conundrum. It, it would be so good if we saw the original owner of that skull at some point. Yeah, for uh, sure. It was, apparently it was called Eustace. Right. Uh, well, I guess that's the nickname, right? Which is kind of too bad because <laughs> they use it like in episode one and then never again. You kind of like yeah. feel like that would have been a fun callback to the first episode if they did. But there's Unless, also a point where Eustace. they say like we excavated it and the reconstruction mm. was great. And I'm not quite sure what that means because the doctor says it's indestructible. Um, So I I think to reconcile this, I mean, to turn a plot hole into uh, 
something interesting. I think what the doctor means is like the power within it is indestructible. Like the skull itself is is mm. kind of a fossil, right? Like, but mm-hmm. that the pattern within uh, it's almost like when you know, like I think they did this with the Daleks once and other stuff. But this has a common trope in in genre stories where something is split into a bunch of different pieces throughout the world. Mm. They're reassembled and it becomes the thing again, right? So that's I think what this is. You know, so in other words, to destroy it, you have to take the whole thing and destroy it, like, you know, essentially melt the whole thing down all at once. Right. You can't just bust it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so so shall we talk about what would have happened if the evil plot would, would uh, had succeeded, which uh, is, mm. is a great opportunity for you to explain to me what the hell the evil plot actually <laughs> is here. Well, we have to establish whose evil plot. So is it Max Stales? Is it the Fendal? I think yeah. we have to go with the Fendal. Well, but- his... It's the Fendal because right. Stell's plot does actually succeed, and and he kind of you know doesn't know what he's gotten into. He's he's in yeah. over his head. Um, and who, well, uh, who knew? <laughs> Evil dude <laughs> who thinks he's going to control this ancient power. Yeah, that never happens. It who never gets out of control. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. not like there's a million stories about the hubris of scientists out there, dude. Pick up a book. So um, yeah, the so Fendal. his evil plot succeeds. What is the Fendal's evil plot? Well, the Fendal's evil plot is to consume all life and okay. like essentially feed itself. It's a little bit like um, Sutex. Um, so mm. um, if it succeeds, like, uh, sort of what what point in the story does it? would we have to change? Because basically, it's got to become the Gestalt creature. So it right. needs more so people. You, you get all you get. 12, 13 people uh, gathered in, in a coven and they're all tied by the way, tied really lazily <laughs> with those little ropes that it's are so zip easy ties, to guys. I guess zip ties <laughs> didn't exist back then. But okay, it's like they, they could have untied themselves from the pillars with those knots. Here's, here's really. the flip, in my opinion, that mm-hmm. makes it a win, in that um, when Jack and Leela are in the hallway and they're confronted by the Fendal and the Fendaline. They're they're either taken over or the gun jams, and mm. so they're dead and they become Fendaline. So that brings the number to twelve again, mm. and they can essentially become the Gestalt. It could become the Gestalt creature that forms, and the Doctor doesn't have time to um, do the implosion. And the doctor is consumed and dead, dead. This is one of those cases where, because yeah. like the Fendal consumes life at its core, like they say this over and over. So like, there's no regeneration, and yeah. then it it essentially just starts spreading. Well, the doctor would have what eight eight lives left, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, theoretically, not counting timeless child stuff. Yeah. Maybe if... wait a second. Okay, okay. If he's the oh. timeless child, yes, and is it's almost like infinite life. Does that then essentially cancel out the Fendal? Hmm. Boom. Does it, does it consume his past regenerations as well? And yeah, they, I mean, the, the Doctor's kind of a, a, a you know ten course meal for for uh, for a creature like that. Yeah, I would think it's maybe it's sated by uh, when it when it yeah. feeds on the Doctor. The other thing is that while well, the Time Lords destroyed the fifth planet to kill the Fendal, once they mm-hmm. get wind that it's here on Earth and now presumably going to spread to the cosmos once it's done with all life on earth would they also would they destroy earth to try to get it i think so yeah 
You, you'd kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we've got some Time Lords just off off screen in uh, in this episode, it feels like. that kind of prepared to step in again. Mm. The Earth could become another fifth planet. Yeah. It becomes, it becomes Ravelox a little early. Yeah. yeah. Little Tile of a Time Lord reference. Now. I don't know if you got, <laughs> if you've seen that one. <laughs> wow. Wow. But, deep cut. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's what happens. It just like the, this is end of the Doctor. It's end of humanity, and yeah, uh, yeah the the and time lords destroy Earth, and that's it. And then the time war happens, and I guess I guess the Daleks win because the Doctor isn't there to save them. Yeah. And wow, and uh, end, end of the universe. The Daleks take over. So man, do, do, lesson: make sure your gun does not jam if you're ever fighting <laughs> a Gestalt creature. That looks like it's made of paper mache with rock salt. <laughs> That's about to consume all life on the planet. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, so that was a wild does ride. This one work? Does this one work? Is it? Is it? What do you think? Is this a, a shaky Dalek or is it a you know kind of okay Ogron? It's it's kind of okay. It's in that sense that we watch old Doctor Who kind of for the for the images, right? It's you know the, the sort of weird freakiness of uh, late seventies Doctor Who. I really enjoy that. It's it's colorful. It's it's one of those things you just sort of sit back and let it wash over you. Yeah. Um, so you. yeah, I'm going to say a very very shaky Dalek. I would um, say it's it's a Dalek when you got your beer glasses on. Yeah. You know, I like. Think it's a, <laughs> We also we haven't talked about this, but the, the, I feel like the randomizer is taking us to episodes where it's asking us the question of what is what is scary. Uh, yeah, right. Fair. We 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 were just at midnight uh, where we never see the creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's here's a story where we don't see any creatures for three episodes, and it's just about the threat of it. Doesn't doesn't quite work, but you know you you got the skull to go on. Yeah, um, some good atmosphere. Yeah, so it's a little atmospheric. I can see how it might be scary for a for a small child. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I feel yeah, the, the randomizer is definitely trying to tell us something or test us in some way mm. with this question of, well, are you scared by this? Well, how about this? You know, how how much monster do you need? Uh, and I, I sort of take it back to the god complex where we were complaining about. The, this, the lack of scariness in any of the rooms. And I feel like right. <laughs> the randomizer is taking us on a side quest mm-hmm. to other potentially scary, like on, on the edge of being scary, but not quite moments in, in who. So. Yeah. I remember that. I would say the, in the grand scheme of scary continuum, midnight probably wins, but mm. there's scariness here. Um, and I think it, again, I, it hit harder with the contemporary audience. Uh, which yeah. was probably a little more freaked out by this sort of devil worship seventies era stuff. I mean, you even see it in other Doctor Who at the time. Like Canine and Company was a couple years after this, mm-hmm. and that was another mm-hmm. coven worshiping another <laughs> evil thing. And you know, it was a very common theme. You know, Hardy Boys. You think about that, right? So, total, total yeah, like, stuff. Terms You're of, absolutely right. It mm-hmm. it did, and we should mention this. It did really take off in the viewership between episode one. And episode four, episode one got 6.7 million viewers in the UK. Uh, by part four, you're up to 9.1 million. Mm. So people were hooked on this episode. They they tuned in. They told their friends. Yeah, I could see like with word of mouth on mm. like the skull stuff and the mansion stuff and all the, it's just like 
telling people, man, it was so freaky. Like you should check it out. Uh, yeah, and I think you could, I, it's still for that atmospheric stuff can, can work with perhaps some assistance with drugs or alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a good Christmas story to watch, right? Cause you're kind of, we're, we're kind of lazy and hazy and just sort of sitting back and let the images watch over us yeah. anyway. I should, uh, I should so- qualify that I'm not endorsing <laughs> using any illegal substances. <laughs> Just you know, you need yes. a little bit of uh, a little, a little, a little, get your psyche a little motivation, a little extra motivation to get into the app. Yes, we, this one, we, uh, we, we'd like to advise here on Pull to Open that, uh, however, you would like to pull to open your mind, <laughs> oh, uh, is, is okay with us, but you know, that's that's entirely your decision. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope it was word of mouth on the story rather than word of mouth on Leela's costume that boosted the viewing figures so significantly we could hope um at least for mm, most of it <laughs> i'm sure there were some yeah. dads who who got some phone yeah, calls and yeah because you know this, this is an era of uh three channels in the uk right there's not a lot to watch it's all pretty bland it's all kind of samey so so anything with a little bit of excitement uh, like a skimpy costume would certainly you know cheer up the the folks kind of watching at home <laughs> well and, some of them Stuck Samey. between Samey stuck between grandstands, the the, the uh, sports show that would precede Doctor Who, and I don't know what would come after in this era. Some kind of crappy cop drama, maybe more soccer. I'm sure. <laughs> um, all right. So, well, speaking of the randomizer testing out somewhat mm. scary, shall we test the randomizer as to let's do it where we may go next, and while, or otherwise? While I head to the randomizer, Pete, do you want to explain? To the yes, at home, almost exactly know. a year ago, we installed the randomizer into this podcast. Which this mm. does, it takes us to a random episode of Doctor Who. It is the source of our random power. Uh, and I, and I tell you, it, it it has worked in in terms of avoiding the Black Guardian. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we've mostly mostly avoided well, him so far. At least since Mount Modern Undead. Um, but yeah, that that was actually the first post randomizer in the show. Post randomizer <laughs> appearance. So you're like, no, no randomizer, no. Of all the of all the stories, randomizer to pick. But um, yes, yeah, so because computers are so darn bad at picking random numbers, we actually mm. look to a special um, service to power a randomizer, uh, random.org, which actually looks at atmospheric noise. Yes. And the randomizer was built by Dr. Mads Har. <laughs> Wait, Dr. H-A-A. Mads. Wait, Dr. Mads, yes. Dr. Mads Har, which sounds like <laughs> such a Doctor Who, you know, Stallman style villain that That's amazing. I, I really, his name is Mads. Oh, this wow. is this is what I mean. I we'd love to have Doctor Mads on the show since we're we're giving such props every episode of Random.org. Yeah, Mads, come uh, on out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can have him on on the the final episode when we finally get get to what three hundred and something, which it'll be by then. Well, after this one, uh, I, I'm going to insist that Doctor Mads wears a white lab coat because <laughs> <laughs> nothing says I'm a scientist more than that. Yes. Clearly, so clearly and loudly throughout Image of the Fendal. I, I do hope that he's uh, working on his evil laugh. <laughs> and a um, mustache twist. All that. Yes, it'd be perfect. Anyway, I'm set up here at random.org, which we call the Executor. And I have uh, a I have... pull to open codex open, our Google yep. Sheet, with every single Doctor Who story r- numbered uh, 1 to 298, now including Doctor Who yep. Flux. 
And we will now generate a random number between those numbers to find out. If we hit one one that we've been at before, then it's time locked. Right. We bounce off it. And we bounce off it. All right. We ready? Uh, ready The codex is ready. All right. Give me a countdown. In three, two, one. No, not the mind's probe. 225. Whoa, we're late. We're late. Okay, 225. Oh, we are at closing time. Ooh, okay. I like that one. Yeah, it immediately follows the God complex in the chronology. Interesting. So, wow. Yeah. The randomizer loves taking us to episodes just after the episodes we've, we've been to. Yeah. Right? And especially in the Capaldi era, did a lot of that. Uh, it did it with Planet of Fire. Yeah. Uh, well, well, sort of. That no, was no, a yeah. yeah. The the, 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 the one immediately pre- following the in- introduction of uh. Well, actually, did we start with the death of Chameleon? Then we went to the introduction. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah, and then we went through all the Chameleon episodes. That's yeah, right. The, all two of them. Um. So it was this closing time. Yeah, this is interesting. It'll be. Uh, I remember this. So this is kind of a sequel to another episode, which also so, starred uh, guest star James Corden, who is now an international Gordon. superstar. Yeah. Um, so this will be interesting to view it years later uh, in the, the post-Corden era. We'll call it. Right. It was a sequel to was it the Lodger? The Lodger, the, right? The, the first yeah. episode he was in, uh, which I really loved. It sort of it's interesting that we're going here first, but okay, I guess that's random. Something to teach us. Something to teach us about what's scary. I'm sure. That's Indeed. What's going on. Well, looking forward to our next adventure, Pete. Me and, too. Uh, why don't you tell folks how they can well, find us? I, I will do exactly that because they found <laughs> us somehow here on a podcast service. We are a podcast in case you weren't sure. As I said at the beginning, please subscribe if you haven't already. Tell your friends to subscribe and leave a review. Again, those reviews really help us, especially on Apple. If you don't mind giving us five stars, we will not complain. Uh, but please, please just leave a review. Tell us what you think. And we'd love to read your review out on the air. Um, also follow us on social. We're very active on TikTok at pull to open we're also on twitter and instagram at pull to open 63 sharing out more stuff there um so that's where we are please come find us say hi you can always ping us on twitter uh, and we will see you guys next time for even more random fun yes time to close we'll see you there oh i see what you did there see what you did. <laughs> take care folks bye guys